Welcome to the Global Careers Podcast, sponsored by GW Cyber, the source for inspiring stories from seasoned professionals who have embraced a global role and reaped the benefits. We offer practical advice and insider tips across a broad swath of industries and fields around the world. You know, whether or not you've considered moving abroad or taking on an international role, globalization will impact your career. So join us for a lively discussion as we explore what an international career really means. My name is Stacey nevadomsky Burdan, and I'll be your host. In season six, we focus on the challenges and opportunities in global careers in marketing, communications, and brand management. What are the rising trends and skills employers in the field are seeking in new hires? Join us as we hear from award-winning international marketing professionals as they share their stories working on some of the most iconic brands around the world. Today's guest is Michelle Chapuis, a multilingual global marketing professional with over 20 years of international team leadership experience. Her global roles have spanned a variety of industries, including food and beverage, commercial goods, nonprofit, travel and tourism, and consumer products across many categories. Currently, Michelle is a senior international marketing manager on the global beauty team at Shark Ninja, responsible for marketing the company's hair care line outside the U.S., Michelle has worked at leading companies such as Newell Rubbermaid, American Greetings, Rich Products, Mattel, Fisher-Price, and UNICEF, for which she worked in Geneva, Switzerland for three years. She's traveled all over the world and runs her own travel company called Europe Your Own Way. Michelle and I connected years ago through our love of languages and one of my books. Michelle speaks Italian, French, in addition to her native English. Welcome, Michelle. It is such a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Yeah, so let's get started. One of the objectives of this podcast is to provide a sense of the careers that are out there, more than just titles, right? So you have extensive marketing experience. Tell us what it's like to be an international marketer. Um, so honestly, graduating from my MBA program, I wasn't really looking for a specific type of marketing or company. I knew it had to be an international. For some reason, it's just, it's in my DNA. I can't control it. I've tried. <laughs> but it's just something about me and I, I need to be an international, but I was pretty open to evaluating the possibilities outside of that, that one requirement. Um, so I would say that my first job after my MBA kind of set me on my path forward. I was recruited by, um, Rubbermaid from my MBA program. They recruited 20 of us from international MBA programs um, as the founding class of a new program they were starting called the Global Leadership Development Program, which was set up to help bring more international thinking into the organization. So, um, and this was a long time ago, time ago, mind you. Um, we did two one-year assignments in different divisions of the company, and then we were placed in a more permanent role. So I did my first year in Hudson, Ohio at Little Tykes, which is, um, was their toy division that they owned at the time. And there I was working on a project to update all of their packaging to multilingual 14 language packaging um, so that the products could be more widely distri distributed. And um, this is more complex of a project than you would think in terms of coming up with a layout that would accommodate 14 languages and communicate still. And, um, so that was my first step into working with, uh, in a, in a corporate role in, in, in the international field. I, I had a variety of different, um, uh, projects along the way. Um, just international can be such a, it's so broad and, um, you get an exposure to a lot of different areas of the company. Um, after Rubbermaid, I worked for, um, well, I worked for Rubbermaid for about five years and then I decided to relocate to Ohio 
where I was hired by American Greetings to manage the card lines developed for the English-speaking markets um, and then also the Spanish line of greeting cards. And there, um, you know, it's a completely different industry, social expressions. It was interesting, but it was so focused on certain areas, uh, regional areas, that for me, it wasn't as, as interesting. I mean, it, you know, inter- when you say international, it's so broad. It can be, it, it, it can be a variety of different um, directions. Um, so that led me to um, a position with Fisher-Price in uh, Western New York that I just loved. And this was kind of my, my, um, my go-to fit for international. Um, you know, people who are in, in the international, um, international roles, they might gravita- gravitate towards one area or another. And for me, this was my this was my sweet spot. So I was responsible for my line of products everywhere outside the U.S., similar, very similar to what I do now with uh, Shark Ninja. The complication with my products at Fisher-Price was that many of them were speaking toys. So we spent a lot of time localizing products for different countries. When I started in that role, we were localizing into 17 different languages. And by the time I left eight years later, we were in 43 different language variations. I loved it, um, but I also wanted to do an assignment overseas. I, I mean, I loved the toys. I loved um, the role that I was in, but I was I really, really wanted uh, to have the experience of an international role, um, you know, overseas. And that's what led me to UNICEF in Geneva, Switzerland. Um, UNICEF was looking for someone to lead the, the marketing for their greeting card program. I happened to have the unique experience of greeting cards and an international education which made me a great fit for the role. And um, they run on contract period. So I was hired for a two-year contract that was extended by one year, and then it ended. And it was an amazing three-year opportunity, professionally, but also personally, and allowed me to expose my then middle school-age daughters to uh, a lot of um, amazing travel experiences. On the professional side, it was so interesting working for an organization like UNICEF, which is actually part of the, the United Nations, Um, Aside from the mission of UNICEF's focus on children around the world, which was amazing to be a part of, there were layers of bureaucracy and a strong focus on organizational hierarchy that was just, um, it was just so interesting to me. And you really can't get a more diverse workforce than the UN, right? (laughs) So I (laughs) I was working with people from so many different countries. It was just a really unique experience. And that's just another example of how, quote unquote, international can, can lead you in so many different directions. Um, and then upon my return to the States after my stint at UNICEF, I was job hunting and decided it was the perfect time to start my own little travel business, as you mentioned, um, because I do love organizing and planning, you know, and leading travel. Um, and I started Europe Your Own Way, which I still run. It's my passion project and my little side hustle that keeps me connected to Europe. Um, but then continuing on in the corporate role, I uh, had a short run at Rich Products, as you mentioned. Um, it, it was a more interim role while they sorted out their international structure. And then that leads me to where I am right now with Shark Ninja working as the international marketing lead on the global beauty team. I'm based in the U.S., but in my current position, I collaborate with all of my international counterparts outside the U.S. to help launch products that are relevant to their co- consumers, but also follow the... the um, you know, our on brand, our branding and, and, you know, keeping it globally consistent uh, in communication and launching. Um, An example of that 
is that, um, which I, I love examples because it just brings things to life. An example of that is the use of our hashtag that we use. Um, it's hashtag for all hair kind. And even though the words may not mean anything in some of the markets, we're using that hashtag in communications uh, worldwide, along with local market interpretation to leverage the U.S. and global success and keep the engagement there. So it's an interesting combination of local and global. I mean, yeah, local and global, but also leveraging digital and um, marketing and social media. Wow. So, so um, much. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Isn't I'm, that interesting? Yes, it's fascinating. And I'm going to dive in here. I have so many, lots to unpack there. I have lots of follow-up questions. I want to take little bits and right. pieces. So definitely recognizing that international marketing is this big, broad thing, kind of nebulous. But you've had tremendous experience, as you've just described and shared with us. So thanks for that. Um, but what do yeah. you think it takes to be successful in all those things? Maybe that you've done that colleagues, for our listeners who are starting out in this path and, path and think they want to do kind of a, kind of like a job like you, a mere, a mere job like you, maybe. What does it take? <laughs> so I think the first thing I'd like to point out is that international marketing is very different from traditional marketing. Um, excuse me, you still need to understand and be able to use the principles of marketing. But as someone in an inter international marketing role, at least, they, you know, in my experience, you're in a more diplomatic role that's more about advising and consulting the markets versus creating and executing marketing programs. I think that's just an important thing to point out because it's not, it's not the same type of role. Um, if you're in an international marketing role at a U.S. headquarters, you're working with your international counterparts to help launch products and make sure that the communications and messaging is on brand and consistent. So the skills needed for that type of role are, of course, the knowledge of the marketing basics and business principles, but also patience, for one, <laughs> diplomacy, cultural sensitivity, um, a sense of humor is very helpful, and um, a huge hugely important skill is the ability to work as part of a team. Um, it's you're working on teams, you're, you're working on the U.S. team, you're, you need to be considered part of all the local teams. So that's just an important skill to have. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Okay, so how do you successfully market a, you know, one, so you're on this team, you're, you're responsible for all the hair care line outside the U.S. How do you actually mm -hmm. market one product or brand across various cultures and different languages around the world? Yeah, it's, it gets complicated because now that we're in this, you know, a digital digital space and you're you're talking to consumers worldwide, you, you don't there aren't as the country lines are blurred. You know, you have you have retailers that are pulling you um, across uh, country lines. You have consumers who are are also seeing you in different markets. They don't they don't stay just on their own home uh, websites and things like that. So you do have to be able to support that, um, that, uh, that global market for your product. You have to have the infrastructure to be able to support the communication worldwide. The worst thing you can do is set up a channel or some platform that allows consumers to speak to you and then not have the resources to be able to continue that conversation because you just need to, to just, um, you need to be able to promote the engagement and, um, otherwise it'll just drop off. So it's, um, a lot of it is having the resources to be able to support those different launches. We, you know, you want to launch everywhere, but at the same time, you have to pull back a little bit sometimes to be able to support 
and and do it the right way. Now you mentioned digital because you're right. People are looking at their your, their your products in one country or language, but they can go anywhere, right, and do that. Mm-hmm. How has yeah. um, digital marketing changed the industry over the last several years, and and how do you tackle it on a global scale? Th- that's something that I I've had to learn that on my own, really, because it wasn't really part of my education when I was learning marketing or or international. Um, it's it's uh, being able to, like I said, be uh, be connected to your retailers and your consumers globally. You know, we're, we have our, our partners are, um, you know, for example, Amazon, you, you, you have Amazon EU and, and it just crosses borders. So we have teams, you know, that support those, um, those global, uh, global retailers. We have, um, you know, our, our consumers that we have to collaborate. We, especially when, when you talk about regional, we have our region of, of the EU, we have Asia region um, and Latin America. We have to use kind of a regional approach so that we are, we're consistent with our, our um, communication across all of our consumers and our retailers. So yeah, it's, it's challenging. Um, and that's why it's so important, this role of this you know, I, I kind of see myself as the middle of the the, the spokes. You know, that um, connecting the the local markets with the global team, so that we can make sure we're consistent around the world. Otherwise, you have very decentralized and um, decentralized approaches that water down your brand. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is great. So much to think about. Um, it is. <laughs> so much complicated, as you said. It's not just the marketing skills, there's diplomacy and obviously patience and curiosity, all kinds of things mm-hmm. there. Um, what do you think has been one of the biggest challenges or changes that globalization, um, that you've seen in globalization that is affecting marketing in the past couple of years? I think the biggest challenge remains the same, whether it's the past five years or 25 years, actually, it's, it's how does a company grow internationally and be seen as a global player, but still act locally and allow the flexibility to accommodate the, the local market needs. So, um, you know, in my opinion, U.S. companies have a, have a more difficult time doing this than companies starting out from other countries because the U.S. market is so huge. Um, many U.S. companies can grow successfully for many years without international expansion. But there comes a time when the U.S. market matures, or, or maybe they don't have to focus on it on international expansion. Um, it still happens organically, possibly. But there comes a time when the U.S. market matures and the biggest area for growth for that company ends up being international. So the U.S. company then has to figure out how to deal with all these different cultures and languages. Um, but companies starting out from other countries, they um, they need to understand how to expand internationally right from the beginning, because that is their primary path for growth. Um, so I think that's something that kind of um, it's 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 existing. It was always um, the the biggest challenge and it still is. Um, But separately, I think another, um, another area is as we, as I was just saying, the the digital side of things and the fact that the digital world has forced companies to think about launching in international markets, uh, the connecting customers, retailers, consumers, and um, you know, our, our consumers are becoming more global and digital platforms definitely have had a huge impact on globalization. So the use of social media and the ability to reach consumers, it's a, it's, um, it's an, a huge opportunity, but it's also a big challenge. 
Mm-hmm. I want to go back to something you said about the um, about the um, marketing. Uh, maybe a U.S. company, yeah, growing. Maybe has, mm-hmm. is going to have a harder time to to expand, vice versa. So for for students or listeners looking to actually go down and look for a global marketing job, um, do you think it might be uh, more prudent or more interesting to actually try to work for one of these smaller startups, smaller companies outside the United States, since they know the U.S. market? Or, you know, what do you think about the, the jobs that are out there now for, for recent grads? For somebody who's really interested in being involved in international, um, ideally, yeah, you have the, if, if you're an, if you're a, you know, someone who grew up in the U.S., you have the U.S. knowledge. You can, you can leverage that with a company based in another country. The, the biggest challenge with something like that is um, being sponsored because you don't necessarily have the right to work in some of those countries. And it's very difficult to get that opportunity. Um, it's expensive and a company has to kind of prove that, that there's no other person in their country that can do that job. So that's very difficult sometimes. Um, but, but you could be, if they have a, a U.S. base, um, you could be that person connected to the company that's based in another country, but work on the ground in the U.S. And you could still have that international um, exposure and, you know, leverage your your knowledge of the U.S. market for this international company. Um, there, there are just so many different ways to go about it. Um, the, I, I have to say the role that I have right now is more, um, it's not as common to find um, a, uh, an international marketing role um, in in the way that it's that I that mine is right now the, being that that connection between the local markets and the global market um, maybe it's starting to be more common um, but it's um, it's a challenging um, it's a challenging role for U.S. companies. Because um, they often, and I've experienced this, they often have like an international department that focuses every, you know, that does all the product lines everywhere else in the in the world, and then the marketing team that's in that company is only focused on the U.S. And then, you know, there comes a point where you need that collaboration between the the U.S. marketing team and the international group that's working with the markets outside the U.S. So there's always that um, that that. Uh, balance that a company is trying to to uh, create between the international and the U.S. Um, side of things. The 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 challenge with having an international quote unquote international department is that it's not really a profit center for a company. So it at a point it becomes hard to justify having you know a whole department um, focused on on communication with the outside um, teams. Um, so they end up pulling some of that international role into the 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 marketing team in the based in the U.S. That's more of a, a profit center for them. So yeah, it's it, there are just so many different avenues you could take. Um, I would say that finding if you're U.S. based, like I think the citizenship piece of it has uh, a lot to do with where you would end up. But if you're U.S. citizen. Um, Finding a role within a, a multinational company is probably the more likely way to break into an international role. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, speaking of citizenship, I know that you now have dual citizenship, the U.S. and Italy, <laughs> and it took a while to get kind of what inspired you to pursue it? What's your next step? Uh, well, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually writing a book about this whole quest for the international life because this is a big it's a big um, chunk of that of that subject. Um, it's it's a more difficult goal to achieve than it sounds. Um and I've always been on the quote unquote list of associates who would move overseas, um, you know, at all of my companies, you know, sign me up. I'm raising my hand. I'll move. You know, I want to do that assignment. But when it came down to it, as I mentioned, um, it, it would always come down to sending me as an expat versus hiring a local person. And it was always less expensive to hire a local person. So when I finally got a job with um, in Europe with UNICEF, I was so excited um, and my original contract, I said it was a two-year assignment there, you know, I was happy to find out that I was getting renewed and, um, but then it ultimately the contract was going to be, um, terminated. They, they go on fixed amount of time. So I, I set up at that time, I set up to see if I could find a job that would allow me to stay. And ultimately, unless I were able to find a position with the UN organizations or another NGO, it was next to impossible to stay. Private companies recruiting for positions had a hierarchy of nationalities, which I thought was really, really interesting. Um, so first, and I was in Switzerland, so first was Swiss, Swiss nationals, second was European nationals, and third in the pecking order was citizens from any other country. And that's where I fell. So I was just, I just was grouped into people from everywhere else, um, you know, um, and, and I applied for a lot of positions within the UN and the NGOs, but didn't really have the qualifications for those agencies. I was in a unique situation at UNICEF because they, they're not usually looking for people with marketing backgrounds. It's usually field experience and work with administration. Um, I was very qualified for many of the jobs within the private sector, but they wouldn't consider hiring an American. So I had some great conversations with a few multinationals in Switzerland. Um, and they would have, um, they would have, like I said, they would have had to prove that no one in Switzerland or the rest of Europe could do the job they needed to hire me for. Um, and then they would have to sponsor me. Um, it's, it's just a very time consuming and expensive process for them. Um, and it's on purpose because they want to keep the jobs there. Um, so in fact, when I found out my contract was going to be ending, I met with a recruiter and his first question to me was, you know, upon hearing that I wanted to find another position in Switzerland was what nationalities do you have? And, um, when I told him that I'm a U.S. national, his response was, do you have any other nationalities in your back pocket? And that, I mean, that pretty much sums up the complicated situation <laughs> there. I thought it was funny, but also really sad. So during that process of going through this frustrating job search um, and the, these conversations about nationalities, I stumbled upon the realization that Italy grants people citizenship through bloodline. As long as you can prove your bloodline leads to Italy, no matter how many generations back and with, with certain requirements, you could request to be recognized as an Italian citizen. Um, so Italian citizenship meant dual, uh, European citizenship, which meant that I could work anywhere in Europe. Um, and it also would would extend to my daughters as well. So they could study, live, work in Europe. Um, so it opened up a whole continent. And that realization and the fact that a branch of my family tree comes from Italy initiated a project that kept me busy for over 10 years. Um, it was not an easy pro process. Um, it's not as easy as just telling someone in Italy that I have the bloodline. I had to collect official birth, marriage, death certificates, et cetera, translations, all that kind of stuff. Um, 
And it, like I said, it took me about 10 years of research and talking to attorneys and, and, and everything before I had my passport in my hands. So that just happened in February. So now I can start thinking about what, what those next steps could be. So who knows, maybe I'll be heading back to Europe at some point. I, I would definitely consider that. I mean, I, I like, I, I really love Europe and, um, and the working, um, the working, uh, experience there and the life in general. So that's, no. That is yeah. great, Michelle. Thank you for sharing that story yeah. because I know so sure. can't wait to can't wait to read the book um, because I know so <laughs> many people and it's one of the pieces of advice we give to um, to students who are like, oh, I want to go overseas. It's like, well, you know, what differentiates <laughs> what differentiates you? And there are exactly. others, right? So there's Italy, there's Ireland, I know Israel. They're all kinds. So that's great. So thank you yeah. for for sharing that. That's that is so cool. Yeah, um, definitely look into it if you have Italian in your in your. Bloodline. <laughs> yeah, that is great. And I know you speak Italian and, and uh, French and a little Spanish. Um, and mm-hmm. you've embraced a global mindset, as you said, it's in your DNA. You know, it's in it's, it's so interesting because it is it's a, it's a phrase that I use a lot. It's like, I don't really know why it is, but it is. But why yeah. do you think these skills are important in the workplace today? Yeah, you know, it's um, learning, learning a language gives you insight into a culture. It's so closely connected. And living in another country, really immersing yourself in that country, gives you insights into the culture, too. So those experiences open your mind and allow you to think in a way that's more globally aware and not, you know, ethnocentric to, to your home country. It's, it's helpful in the current business environment um, it, for global expansion, but it's also super helpful as more and more business environments are made up of cross-cultural teams. I've worked on teams with people from across the world and my experience learning languages and living overseas has, has made me more culturally aware and sensitive to the differences. Um, for example, some cultures in general are, um, less comfortable, maybe expressing a conflicting opinion on a subject in a, in a more public situation. So asking those team members for their opinion on a product in a global marketing meeting with 100 other people is not going to be effective. They're not going to give me their honest opinion. Um, so what I've done in those situations is I set up separate time with some of my counterparts from those more reserved cultures, just to connect with them in a less public forum that allowed them to provide their honest feedback to me. Um, you know, those kind of things, it's, they're subtle, but it makes such a huge difference in effective working relationships. It's just something you're more aware of when you, when you take the time to learn a language or, or learn about a culture. Mm, that's wonderful. That's a great example. That is great. And, and I'm sure there are so many more, but similar yeah. applications, similar application. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're so thoughtful, Michelle. This has been a great conversation. Um, is there a piece of advice that you think about maybe and say, hmm, I wish I could go back and give my younger self this piece of advice? I would tell, I, I think I would tell my younger self to, to recognize my value and negotiate opportunities. Um, when I was just starting out after my MBA, I was applying and interviewing at a lot of different places. I was so excited to land a job at all, but also that the job was with Rubbermaid and that it was international. Um, so I was in the airport on my way to do some apartment hunting for my move to Ohio to work for Rubbermaid. When I got a call from a company I had interviewed with. They wanted to know if I was still available because they wanted to offer me the, the job. 
And I was just so naive. I just, I mean, I was so new to this whole business environment. Instead of allowing them to make me an offer, I immediately told them that I had already accepted a job. (laughs) And, um, you know, who knows where that path could have led me. The job they were going to offer me was with the Italian Trade Commission in New York City. (laughs) And while I'm pretty sure that the pay wouldn't have been, you know, the the pay would have been lower than the salary I was going into, the role was um, marketing for Italian companies coming to the U.S. and more specifically, wine companies. And it included organizing wine tastings in, at restaurants in New York City. But I never gave them a chance to make me an <laughs> offer. So my advice is to listen more than you speak and understand the strategies of negotiation. Mm, that's excellent <laughs> advice. Excellent advice. Yeah. And you, at the very least, could have used that that offer to go back to Rubbermaid and say, oh, I just got this uh-huh. other offer. What are you thinking? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Well, this has been great. And I know you are super, super busy. So I want to wrap up with one last question, which is kind of open-ended. Is there anything maybe that you'd like to share with our listeners? listeners that I haven't asked you about? I would say learn how to network. It's such an important skill. Opportunities come from the strangest places that, you know, I've seen uh, in my own experience and many times from within your own network. I would say that's a huge piece of advice that I would give to anyone. And on that note, I also welcome your students to feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for that offer. We really appreciate it. This has been a fantastic conversation. I am so envious and jealous of your career, your dual citizenship, so many things. It's just, just, just fantastic. So thanks for taking the time. This has been great, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks so much, Stacey. You have been listening to the GW Cyber Global Careers Podcast. Join us again next time. And in the meantime, go global.